0: Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Pack. We're talking about all things technique. He was recently on a paper that was published named Optimizing Resistance Training Technique to Maximize Muscle Hypertrophy, a narrative review. So they wanted to look into the scientific literature and see what actually has been looked at in regards to technique, and how we're meant to optimize things. I'm sure you guys are very well aware and you probably have an understanding of what you deem as good technique for muscle growth. And a lot of people put out there, especially across social media, good technique, bad technique, this is optimal technique. How much evidence is there for some of these statements? This is some of the things that we're gonna be looking at. And in the paper, there were three uh, key components to technique, so tempo, range of motion, and exercise kinematics. So we dive into that and then deep dive into some nuanced discussions surrounding these elements that they've brought out today. So I think you guys are gonna get a really good appreciation of what the literature really supports in terms of training technique, and it might open your eyes to how your own technique is looking and how you're lifting or your clients, and also to some of the information that you see on social media and whether or not you should be taking it with a grain of salt. So I won't give too much away. As a reminder, guys, at Revive Stronger, we are an online coaching business. We coach people across the world for physique goals and outcomes, whether or not that's to the bodybuilding stage or a photo shoot, or they just wanna feel healthier, happier in themselves, grow some muscle tissue, lose some fat. All of these factors, these are things that we help people with, we program around their lifestyle, is truly individualized and we really pride ourselves on quality communication. We think communication is super important for getting the best client result. So if you are interested in any of those aspects and wanna hop on a call with one of our coaches, you can apply, it's always found in a description or a bio or somewhere, you'll be able to find the link or head over to revivestronger.com and you'll be able to navigate to our online coaching. But without further ado, let's get into the chat with Dr. Pack. So Pac, you have been working away in your lab with your kind of lab coat on, the the white jacket and the glasses and uh, all of of that science going on, and you've been working on technique and uh, some papers and assessing them in regards to technique. And so my question is, have you come to a definition of what technique is? Because I think a lot of people use that word, me included, and I have an idea of what I thought I meant when I said technique. Uh, But... Uh, given I've read the paper,
1: I know there wasn't a formal definition. So, have you got one for me now? We have officially defined technique, but uh, joking aside, yeah, it was it was very surprising when doing this um, this narrative review. Essentially, looking at what is how can one go about optimizing the training technique? We first had to sort of understand what what does technique really mean because it's it's a term that we hear so often in the gym. Um. But in the literature, surprisingly, there wasn't much, if any, direct literature looking at technique, not only as as a definition but also as a concept. So, the way we define technique, and by we, I mean our research t- team, uh, and that's like on the on this paper, we've had people like Brad Schoenfeld, Max Coleman, Milo Wolf, um, and Alec Pinero, Ryan Burke, and we also had. The good, Mr. Nipples. Um, Mr. Nipples, yes, exactly. So we defined uh, resistance training exercise technique as um, so resistance training exercise technique per- pertains to the controlled execution of bodily movements to ensure an exercise effectively targets specific muscle groups while minimizing the risk of injury. This involves the orchestration of body positioning and alignment, range of motion, and repetition tempo. But uh,
0: I, I like that when I hear about it. This brings up uh, a term I thought of. Uh, I, the immediate thing I thought of when you kind of said it was the term like stimulus to fatigue ratio. Obviously, Mike Israell coined that. So that kind of trying to target the muscles and minimizing the risk of injury slash fatigue and unwanted fatigue, um, which it just again those that that kind of terminology just ends up linking loads of things, but. Uh, like you said, there was like so limited literature looking into it. And when I think about just as myself as a personal trainer, like an online personal trainer, the amount of content you see out like in our space that is technique driven. And Mm -hmm. it's like, there's actually not like a even scientific consensus for what technique even meant uh, is surprising. And I think a lot of people probably have taken that for granted. So I think this is a a really good step in the direction of uh, investigating this further because yeah like you said there really hasn't been much that's looked to even synthesize this let alone there's not much even to synthesize there but um i guess the good place to start is looking into those elements you kind of brought up which was tempo range of motion and then the other one was like exercise kinematics is that uh-huh. similar to biomechanics like are they can uh, they're not re- like um the same word yeah. but they're somewhat fi- similar
1: body positioning and like essentially you performing a, a squat a specific way or oh, um you have to have your um your stance has to be this wide for it to be correct, like things that you're used to hearing a lot like exercise technique is one of those is one of those variables that is often presented as maybe the most important variable in making gains by some I'm not saying it's universally the same. But when you get into the gym, it is the one of the first boxes that you need to tick good technique and you're constantly reminded about good technique and the importance of having a personal trainer often uh, hinges on you know good technique you need somebody to make sure that you're lifting with that's what we offer as coaches as well we i provide technique feedback to all to all clients um and then but then, when looking at the literature specifically from a muscle hypertrophy standpoint, because as you said, plenty of content out there, um, looking specifically at technique modifications, when we look at the direct evidence, things are not as clear as we'd like to be. So, shall us just, how do you want me to tackle this um, yeah. component um, by component? I was just going to say, I guess uh, absence
0: of evidence isn't evidence of absence, if that makes sense. Like, just the fact, like, that's not discounting that any information that people out there on technique, you and me included, is to be discounted and says, oh, it's a load of rubbish. Uh, It's just, we don't have, we haven't investigated a whole lot. But yeah, I guess, uh, starting with tempo then, um, which obviously, so people are, I think most people listening to this will know, but it's like referring to the time spent at various portions of the lift. So you have like the eccentric lowering phase, you have the concentric raising phase, and then whether or not you pause at various ranges of motion, I guess. I mean, that's not really been looked at particularly much,
1: but uh, what did your review find? I-, I won't kind of divulge too much there. No, no for sure. So going into this, my... Personal bias in quotation marks. If there was any, um, was that you know we try to keep the concentric part of the movement. So when you're lifting up on a on a bench press, um, as fast as possible while in a controlled manner. Obviously, while really controlling the eccentric, so the lowering phase of a bench press, in order to reap the absolute most uh, hypertrophy benefits from that exercise. That was what I was going into, being somewhat aware of the literature around the you know the potential. Um, the potential potency of the eccentric part of uh, a repetition, and I was like, okay, let's see what um what the literature has to say about tempo. And to my surprise, there were some um systematic reviews, more specifically one by Wilk et al, where they looked at the effect of tempo on hypertrophy, and they essentially concluded that a combination of slower centric and faster concentric repetitions seemed to be the best. But when actually looking at their review, they mostly based their claims on um, a couple of studies where. On one study, uh, they found that when the duration of the eccentric phase was similar among conditions, prolonging the duration of the concentric phase did not lead to any increases in lean body mass, but without directly measuring hypertrophy. Um, And then you had another study that they referred to uh, when making those recommendations, because this was uh, actually wasn't a systematic review, but rather it was just a review again. So again, you had authors narratively describing the literature. and they, they also quoted another paper by uh, Nogueira et al, where they showed that a faster concentric um, resulted in greater um, greater hypertrophy versus a slower concentric phase in older men. And based on that data, they were like, hey, probably don't slow down the concentric, keep the eccentric slower. And that's the way to maximize gains. But when looking at the a table they provided with like potential combinations, they had listed every possible combination you could imagine, um, which was a bit confusing. And then looking at the literature, without boring you too much, if we look at the kind available literature and the studies that have looked at specifically manipulating eccentric and concentric tempo, things are not very very clear. There are some studies where um, they compared, for example, two versus four seconds um on uh on on hypertrophy and the the group that performed the longer eccentric so the four cent uh, four second eccentrics experienced greater increases in vastus medialis muscle thickness but not like overall there were no major uh differences but then on the contrast there was another study that found that a one second eccentric resulted in marginally greater quadricep muscle thickness versus a three second eccentric in trained men when doing a leg extension Um, and then the same was also seen from a study where they looked at squatting and they found no differences in, in thigh cross-sectional area between a two and four second eccentric group, uh, and both groups had the same concentric tempo. And then even more contrastingly, you had a study by, um, et al comparing a group performing exercise using either a six second eccentric and a two second concentric versus a six second concentric and a two second eccentric. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: it was very mixed. Like, And uh, yeah, it's just, like you said, there's so many combinations that you can put out there. So it's like, how are we going to eventually investigate all these various combinations? Yeah. And uh, as you said, some are showing that slower centrics, faster concentrics are winning, and then others are showing the opposite. So it's just like uh, one of those situations where we don't have a clear, there's not a clear understanding
1: yeah, exactly. So, like, even when they looked, they they looked at a slower concentric. Even though other studies showed that that may be somewhat deleterious to to muscle gains, that study, the last one that I mentioned, they found that a six second concentric was uh, the group that did that experienced greater increases in vastus lateral, lateralis type one and two a uh, fibers, whereas the six second eccentric group only experienced increases in vastus lateralis type one fiber, uh, type one fibers which shows that overall it does indeed appear that you can make really solid gains uh, as long as your repetition duration is somewhere between two to eight seconds and there is some eccentric control where you don't sort of allow the weight to free fall complete like like you would do on a power lifting deadlift where you would not control the eccentric whatsoever and just essentially barely hold the bar while while letting it slam on the ground but um as it stands it is unclear whether extending the eccentric as we often see and as i have instructed clients to do so um it is unclear as to whether that really has much more to offer and my personal hunch is that it probably doesn't have much more to offer but if you're somebody who's trying to uh who's trying to maximize hypertrophy given that it's not going to be deleterious to your progress uh, and given that as we're going to talk about in a second really emphasizing the stretch seems to be important that slower eccentric may allow you I'm doing it on camera now for the three people watching like let's say you're doing a lat pull down I like to take my time and take like three to four seconds so I can get a nice full stretch and make sure that I do have that stretch sort of hanging there for half a second and then complete the rest of the repetition but that's just me saying hey if you're absolutely trying to maximize uh, hypertrophy it's not that it's a bad idea, but don't think that if you have a trainee or yourself, if for any reason you don't like on certain exercises to take your time during the eccentric. As long as there is some control, it's likely that you're um, that you're making most, if not all, your gains.
0: Yeah, I like that. That summary is perfect. Uh, Because yeah, I think a lot of people listening would have heard a two to four, or even maybe up two to six second eccentric is like, or four to six seconds or whatever it is, you know, there's a variety. And uh, I think every coach and even trainee probably has their preference of an eccentric that they like, maybe even for a specific lift. And where there is the absence of evidence, the evidence you have then is like your personal experience with clients, yourself. So it's, it's challenging to make a very... I think the thing you're trying to suggest here is like having a very black and white two to four second eccentric is the best for maximizing muscle growth. It's a bit of a strong black and white statement given how little data we have to support that.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the main issue here. The main issue is not with... Uh, one is not supposed to go, oh, we don't have evidence on this. S- same with deloads, right? Two years ago, no evidence on deloads. It's not like we were advising people to not deload. We were pulling... Data from wherever we could, like previous d training studies and experience, um, it's just that if you see somebody being very dogmatic about a specific uh, eccentric or, or concentric tempo uh, and making it seem as if you are missing out on a lot of gains um, if you're to <laughs> you control the the eccentric for one or two seconds less, um, just just be just be skeptical. That, that's all I'm saying. Um, and at the same time, on the tempo tempo topic i don't know i think that we have studies like there's been studies that have been done versus for example kinematic uh um, modifications to exercises where we actually don't have a lot of evidence and i think that we would like there's no consistency here so i don't know if i had to bet and i wouldn't bet all my money on no difference but I would bet a fair amount of money that as long again as you're staying, if you're staying between two to eight seconds and you're going to close to failure, that it's not gonna make a huge difference if it's like two seconds versus four seconds when when it comes to the eccentric.
0: Yeah, it's that thing you mentioned there is that close to failure. It's like, that. that's like the key principle that matters for muscle growth probably is like that you're taking that target muscle close to failure. How you get there in terms of that tempo See, at least within this range of two to eight, seems to matter much less at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is some evidence showing that you could be leaving some games on the table if you were to go even slower. Uh, but, you know, this is information that only uh, is applicable to the people listening to this podcast. So if, let's say, my uncle or my mother or a friend of mine who is not really fast about our niche, was like look i love doing super slow reps i will still take the set to the point where i'm unable to move the load anymore would i be like bro you're really messing messing with your program like i'd be like yeah maybe you're gonna miss out on that slide you know slight extra tiny bit of muscle that steve would be able to see with his uh trained eye but for yourself you're still getting all the benefits from resistance training you're still going to get stronger you're still going to get jacked and it's going to be fine
0: yeah yeah well said and I might. um, I have some. I want to run through the paper and then I have some like additional just uh, thoughts from a uh, like just speculation at my on my part on some various aspects that we might dig into a little bit more. So we'll we'll go on to range of motion. And obviously, we've spoken about range of motion at length on this podcast, uh, just totally, but also you've been on to speak about it at length. And I would say people want to. Go and look at the podcast with Mike Milo and yourself, uh, because like you guys had a back and forth talking about that in depth uh but for those who haven't kept up with that and just want kind of somewhat of a summary, I know there was a recent systematic review actually, and then there's like a couple of additional papers um that have come out since even that chat that we did with Mike. Where do things stand with range of motion as it pertains to uh the technique we want to take for max muscle growth
1: yeah, so. Based on the current literature, it appears that utilizing a range of motion that biases longer muscle lengths should be the default approach to exercise technique when trying to maximizing to when trying to maximize muscle hypertrophy. For example, if you sit on a chest press and you're able to adjust the seat so you can get a bit more of a stretch, That probably makes sense uh, from a maximization standpoint because you'll be able to spend, uh, to to train at longer muscle lengths. The same goes with using a cambered bar on a bench or, uh, again, adjusting the seat on a chest-supported row where you can get that extra bit of stretch versus stopping at the point where your your arms are still slightly bent. Um, Although going full-on lengthened partials may... um, may lead to greater gains or uh, let me put it this way although cutting the end ROM at short lengths may not be giving us much benefit and perhaps stopping before that may actually lead to more gains via different mechanisms hypoxia being one that was discussed on a, on a, a classic paper we need more research on different range of motion configurations to draw stronger conclusions on the topic and additionally the current literature we have on the long muscle length training is limited to a few muscles and therefore as in and and therefore we should be somewhat cautious uh in, in terms of how we how we ward this so and that's why because we're talking about technique and the, the different variables of technique versus methods that you can employ in order to check these because like a method, for example, for ROM would be oh, you use a one second concentric two second eccentric tempo or any different configuration. Um, But we've given you a broad range that seems to be fine. Similarly, with range of motion, it seems that as long as you're biasing long muscle lengths, um, as long as you're making sure that that happens, you are you are taking a lot of boxes from a technique optimization standpoint. Now, full ROM Or partial ROM, or like eighty-five percent ROM, because it's not like we've investigated that. We're not a hundred percent sure just yet, but it makes sense that you do um, modify your range of motion so that you can get that extra stretch.
0: And uh, yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Like making sure you get a really good stretch on the muscles. I I guess the difference here to the uh, kind of tempo element is. You could have a lot of exercises within your program and some of them might not get you to as long a muscle length as others but it's like as a whole you want to be getting to the longest stretch position within the as for technique for that exercise as a whole you want to get to the the length and portion of that exercise like a preacher curl like you want to have that your arm nicely out in front of you it's not like preacher curls you just shouldn't do them
1: Exactly. And again, all this is in the context of optimizing, and this is not yet fully confirmed by the research in, in the sense that we've identified the different variables. <clears throat> but at the same time, it's not that we have studies comparing a com- the, the combination of variables that we are proposing as the optimal combination of variables versus other combinations of these variables to truly see whether that makes a difference. So again, view all this in the context of optimization. It is not that even if you do a preacher curl and you don't get the full stretch and you stop like a couple of degrees short from that from your elbow being fully extended, it's not that we. <laughs> it's not that that is going to make a, a meaningful difference for the average individual or if let's say there's some discomfort, like again, we're talking about little details, but on principle, you know, if you're somebody who's in there and you wanna maximize gains, it makes sense to adhere to, uh, to to make those small, but potentially in the long-term, meaningful adjustments overall in your program. Because if you do that overall, it may be that you actually look at uh, a meaningful increase in gains. So if you were cutting your squat depth short, or you were stopping just at parallel, going much lower, based off the, the results of this narrative review, then that that may actually get you more gains. Absolutely, and I, I guess
0: a part of this is also trying to generate tension in that length and position, which gets to that like optimization question again. It's like, oh, maybe the uh, st- like facing away single arm Bayesian curl uh, from Menno, Uh, where you are getting the bicep fully lengthened by letting the elbow come behind the body and then maybe you have the cable at hand height so the tension is immediately the toughest in that portion. Like if you were to look at one exercise for the biceps and you compare that to, I don't know, just a preacher curl, like a a dumbbell preacher curl, maybe you could say from what we know now this is quote-unquote the best choice but it's, it's the program as a whole that matters most just like individual foods. You could make an argument that, I don't know, X food is micronutrient Like superior to like another one, but what is your diet like as a whole? And are you getting enough micronutrients? Are you getting enough
1: ranges of motion that are in that long muscle length that are under tension? Yeah, it all comes down to. So the way I like to phrase it is because people like to hear optimizing, and then they they hear you say, "Oh, this may be the optimal way to train," and they take that as, "Oh, you either train this way or you're you know an idiot and you're you're doing it wrong," where in reality, just I, I try to use the analogy of having a bet. Let's say we had two twins, two twins, and I, I made four with my fingers, two twins, and we have a bet. Whoever gets their twin most, like to be most jacked, wins a big sum of money. It's likely that the majority of people would still make those slight adjustments and take those educated bets uh, or slightly slightly educated bets in some cases, as you said, with. Um, uh, for, uh, resistance curves and like every slight adjustment even sometimes based on limited evidence because again we're trying to absolutely maximize growth as far as recommending it uh, uh, from our from the standpoint of us as educators making those recommendations we need to be cautious with how much emphasis we place on some of those things that we say and that's what i'm trying to do here but nobody likes that so
0: Black Either and do white. what we say. That's what yeah. they want. <laughs>
1: Black point. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Too many shades of gray over here. Uh, that's brilliant. So I think people understand where they are with range of motion. Essentially, it's like don't skip out on that stretch, stretched position. Make sure you're getting that deeper, deep range of motion on the exercise. Uh, so finally, coming to exercise specific kinematics. Which, like you said, it kind of describes how your body moves and the positions it takes while exercising. Details like angles of joints, path of movement, muscle muscle actions, parts of biomechanics, uh, like uh, anatomy, things like this. Uh, so, yeah, how much how much research is there looking at this sort of thing? Which is, like you said, and like we've kind of mentioned, this is something that's spoken about
1: about quite at length online, lot. actually. Lots of these details. Yeah. I um, love me to first say that uh, for the ROM stuff, t- t- check out Milo's uh, channel on YouTube. He has a, a bunch of very detailed videos on range of motion that he, I think a lot of people that may be skeptical uh, will benefit from because he breaks all the individual studies that are out there on the topic. But other than that, on exercise-specific kinematics, this was the most interesting. Um, I guess tempo was interesting for me as well because I, I I went into it thinking that we're going to see that it's clear that prolonging the eccentric makes more sense uh, but when it comes to how exercises were created I think a lot of people are under the illusion that you know a bunch of scientists came together and were like okay let's create exercises now test them and see which one makes it out or which machine or which configuration makes it out. And This is the correct way to squat if you want maximum muscle growth, or this is the correct way to uh, do a lateral raise if you want maximum delt growth and so on and so forth. Uh, but the reality is that the majority of uh, exercises were not created based on scientific research, um, but rather at a, a combination of extrapolation from applied anatomy and biomechanical principles. For example, the squat, the first iteration of the squat in the 18 something I, I'm, I'm forgetting. Like the first, the first iteration of the squat was like a deep knee bend where one would allow their um their heels to raise off the floor and all the weight would be placed on their on their toes. Um and that was minimally loaded, because as you can understand, it's a disadvan disadvantageous position uh from a from a balance standpoint. So you can't really squat that heavy. Doing, doing the exercise like that. And then in like 1921, you saw the first uh, back squat the way we know it now. And as it, in, it evolved and bodybuilding and powerlifting sort of became a thing in the seventies and, and, and got more fame, more exercises started popping up. People suggested exercises and those then made their way into textbooks. Those textbooks were then quoted by people. Those people were then quoted by other people. Um, Exercise companies, uh, sorry, um, companies started making machines that, you know, they came up with based on, again, extrapolation from applied anatomy and biomechanical principles, and that's where we are at the moment. As far as the guidelines that exist when it comes to, like, grip width, foot positioning, bar placement, There are points that you can make from a biomechanical standpoint as far as efficiency goes. So like doing a deadlift with a bar really far away from your body is going to be much less efficient than having it close to your body. But from a hypertrophy standpoint, um, there is maybe I think a couple of studies, one on the calves uh, and there is another one on the leg extension where they actually made um, adjusted like toe uh, pointing where they pointed forward uh, to the right and so on and so forth and saw a difference in muscle growth but as far as general excess specific kinematic modifications go in hypertrophy we don't have much evidence if not if any evidence so like when you hear somebody say okay do the lat pull down this way because that will use your lats more insert biomechanical reasoning for that perfectly fine especially if you're you know geeking out and you're optimizing but um sometimes it's expressed with less caution than it should be because in reality we don't really know again ev- absence of evidence is not evidence of absence but we do not have any actual study looking at long-term growth and doing those uh those adjustments uh, that are sometimes like present as uh, game changers and in countries like greece and like even in poland when i was there now and some of my polish friends were telling me like you'll still get trainers tell you point your thumb up when you do the the lat pull down to activate (laughs) this or you know make sure your your head is up when you're squatting to ensure that all this and all that so i actually
0: just off the top of my head i even can think of one that's currently kind of debated at least in our space and that is the uh, seated hamstring curl, like leaning forward to get an extra hamstring stretch. Or is that actually not stretching the hamstring more and we're actually uh, like causing a nerve and that's the sensation we're feeling, like the sciatic nerve or whatever. So I, I know that's debated. And I see people in our space who, all evidence-based practitioners, I would say, are kind of giving their kind of two cents either side. So it's like some of these things are just not agreed upon. Like you said, there's, we have the, the calves, like point, point, point your feet like out and in to try and kind of uh, – get a, a different effect on the calf there, but actually, even it's funny, I saw that and then I was like, I don't like pointing out Orin, I like just straightforward calves. Uh, so it wasn't enough. Uh, I tried it for a little bit, but it wasn't enough to shift me. But it's exactly what you said because for uh, people here, all about like the inner chest, the outer chest, like to get the outer quad, you need to have like a narrow stance, exactly. Things like this, it's like that could actually, I mean, we have no data for it, but that. What if that limited the muscle length you were getting to? Because now you're up against your chest or
1: whatever it might be. Your hips can't get into that deep position anymore. Yeah, for sure. And you, and it's even more surprising that we have no data on the use of external momentum on uh, hypertrophy. So like swinging during a bicep curl and uh, using your hips. And like we are focused on involving only the muscle groups that we're trying to target when... One, there's no evidence showing that, as you've also said, I think, in previous videos, when you were doing like rows, for example, you will allow for a little bit of um, hip involvement. There's no evidence that says that this, that is either bad or good. And my personal hunch is that as long as you're taking the intended muscle to failure and you're not sacrificing length, um, it's it it may even be better in certain cases and the idea that oh you're involving the hips and there's going to be this unwanted fatigue i doubt that you're getting uh, a meaningful amount of fatigue by an rpe you know or not rpe an rir of 50 sort of stimulus you know like just because your hips did a slight thing at the end i don't think any of the hip musculature is at a point where it's you know ready to fail granted i know there's people out there that will have technique that is so shitty that they will take their hips to the point where they're failing during a barbell row but i digress
0: yeah i think it's i have seen the arguments that people are using momentum to kind of cheat the lift and they're involving other muscles and taking away stimulus from the target muscle and that's the the stance i took for a long time until i just kind of (laughs) experimented a little bit more and uh, especially as this came out about the the long muscle lengths and like hey a bit of that momentum helps you through the hardest most challenging portion of that bent over row for example and so you have more time and exposures to those long muscle lengths and maybe that's why it felt so good when you did quote unquote cheat a little bit and actually when you i have found when i'm a little bit more loose and less strict about trying to really isolate to a muscle and maybe involve some others i can take the target muscle even closer to failure uh, than otherwise would have like i can get an extra couple of reps where i I would have not got those if i didn't allow for a little bit of maybe body english or something like that um actually a really common one you probably heard this one and i i for the longest time with like dumbbell lateral raises like it became Mm. a joke like people swinging the load up but it's like even uh, i think the only paper that looked at this strict versus not strict was the Randevolic. I can't say the name. Um, Arangelovic. There you go. So yeah, there was like mom- uh, moderate momentum at the start of the rep allowed heavier loads and better overload. And it was like, if there was excessive momentum, that's what led to uh, lower loading of the target muscular chart. So that was like, I don't know how good of a paper, but uh, I didn't read the specific paper fully, but that's the one you guys quoted. And I was like, that kind of makes sense for... The resistance profile of lateral raises being harder at the top when we're weaker uh, and why when a lot of our seven based guys look at someone doing that it's like oh, man you're you're cheating you're using other muscles it's like actually maybe they're really getting actually managing to get tension in that lengthened position for the delt and that's why they're yeah. doing it. it ends up feeling good i'm not saying every person in the gym doing that is doing it for that reason a lot of people aren't but i think bodybuilders ultimately who are
1: doing it they're sensing that they're getting something from that yeah i think that's where uh the issue semi lies like the intention behind what you're doing because uh, i think there's there's bodybuilders out there that will revert to having sloppier and because again we don't have like a strict definition of what's strict and what's not strict but the sloppier from you know in our eyes technique um but they may not really know why they're doing it. They'll throw out words like, yeah, yeah, more load, brother, or whatever. But you can see that it's the same as, oh, the bros were right about partial reps. But the bros back then, it's not like they presented a, a thesis where they're like, look, here's why we think this works. They were like, yeah, something, something, tension, it feels good. And then you had other bros doing partials at short muscle length and saying the same. Um, the paper you quoted, just, just for the the few that care by... Arangelovich, uh is not like an actual study where if, like the, they took people and did stuff, it was a modeling study. So uh, essentially modeled what would happen with the use of external momentum and they used the lateral, actually it was one person. So he used the lateral raise as an example, but um, given the current state of the literature, it's possible that the use of moderate external momentum at the beginning of each rep could potentially have some deleterious effects on hypertrophy by decreasing time spent on long muscle lengths. so like uh, on a bicep curl uh, let's say if you're skipping the the length and position completely and essentially the lift starts from mid to short range because you've assisted um but at the same time you know alternatively the use of external momentum as you said may allow for more time spent training on long muscle lengths. so for example a bend over uh barbell row um resulting in greater hypertrophy so yeah, we, the jury is still out as far as external momentum goes, but the jury will be in, in, I guess, a year from now when we're done with one of the studies that we want to do on external momentum, um, which is not going to be strictly on technique, but rather just on external momentum to fill that gap, or at least start filling that gap. Keep in mind that this paper as well, because a lot of people saw it and were like, oh, okay, we sort of knew that already. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. But did we because there's a lot of people that are you know making very very specific recommendations uh there seems to still be some confusion plus from a literature standpoint we needed to set the scene so that then we can start doing studies and filling in the gaps that exist cuz i wasn't aware of some of these gaps i didn't i didn't know like that there was absolutely no study on external momentum directly looking at hypertrophy
2: do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with a the plan? Then. get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better, if you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change. Sign up today and let's revive stronger. Yeah, I
0: I think the thing that uh, is most surprising to me out of these results, that the The range of motion makes complete sense because I mean that's already something that's been looked into and we've talked about at length here, so that completely makes sense. At length, uh, yes, uh, good point. And it's the the tempo was surprising to me in terms of like attempting to move the concentric fast. To me, was like seemed to make sense for more growth. Uh, If you feel stronger that way, it kind of feels intuitive. And then to the control in the eccentric and actually when. Thinking about it more, I think it makes sense that there can be quite a wide range for a controlled eccentric. For me, at least, it depends kind of on the lift that I'm doing, how slow that eccentric portion needs to be. If it's like a bicep curl, it's not even moving very far versus like a RDL or a squat. It's moving way further. There's more joints involved to keep things moving. So I'm not off balance and I'm getting to a long muscle length. I need a bit more time there. But yeah, I I have found at least, and this kind of comes back to the uh, momentum almost, where I lift with a little bit more aggression, uh, I find like I can, I, I get more from the lift. So like, yep. I, I, and I think there is some research looking into when you are lifting with more like assertiveness and aggression and athleticism, uh, you can uh, get a little bit more, you can engage more muscle fibers, um, better neuromuscular coordination, able to generate a little bit more force. So I kind of feel like if, pe- if I was to use these recommendations and I don't know, slow my concentric down, I might leave some reps. That I could have otherwise got. I don't know if you have any feelings towards that, That I guess it, it breaches the evidence that we have out there, but if you have any anecdotal experience and what you kind of think makes sense.
1: Yeah, hey, I'd like to hear your thoughts as well, but with, with some clients, um, especially those that have sort of come up in the evidence-based um, lifting world, where they've heard things that like, okay, failure is when you are unable to complete another rep using proper form, proper form being vaguely defined as something extremely strict because science and we are scientists and we are robots that are performing exercise now and if it doesn't look like somebody said it should look then that's you know that's bad for whatever reason reasons still not, not really clear um and then you end up seeing people you know robotically performing exercises but you can somewhat tell that they are not really doing their, like they're not really pushing themselves as hard as they could. And if you do a controlled, if you do a, a bicycle, curl, very controlled, and you're not fully in sync or experienced with the feeling of discomfort and, and failure, anecdotally, right, this is just me now observing things. I think that some people do leave many reps in the tank because they are so overly focused on keeping things extremely controlled where their perception of how much they have left in the tank is, is sort of skewed and if you were to tell them okay let's push now i'll give you ten thousand pounds if you get five more reps and they go all right let's go and push as hard as you can they may be able to get another like four to six reps not with a hundred percent control but still controlled enough right maybe with a slight like slight uh contribution of the hips to to get those last two reps going but overall still looking pretty strict so yeah i i would i would definitely i agree with you there i'm not sure if you've seen the same with some clients because you work mostly with like bodybuilders and stuff
0: i i absolutely have uh, i've had to encourage people to get a uh, particularly on like pulling movements uh but on a variety of lifts like if they don't get a little bit like aggressive and like let that technique maybe not look pristine uh, i do find that they don't get and the principle i'm kind of trying to de- nail down there is like if your technique is leading you down a path where you can't take the target muscles close to failure, that's not a good technique for lifting hypertrophy. Like it's just not going to work well for you. So if you've got this, and again, concentric speeds will slow down just as you mm. fatigue and get close to failure. So if you're trying to maintain this, I don't know, four second concentric and lift really slow, like that's, I mean, you are at some point, uh, that won't work well for you in terms of taking that muscle close to failure. And exactly like you mentioned, uh, without that slightly more like aggressiveness and um, maybe not having a strict definition of or having a bit of a range of what acceptable technique exactly. is. Uh, and uh, that's allow people to reap the war- rewards from that for sure.
1: Yeah. And uh, like a lot of people will then drag injury um, to the to the mix here and say, yeah, but what about injury? Let me roll in the mud first, using uh, a non-evidence-based, well, not evidence-based. Let me roll in the mud here. Just let me, and uh, humor me. So, like, you have sports like football, a.k.a. soccer for the Americans that are listening, rugby, any sort of basketball. You're changing direction. You're bending. You're jumping. You're getting hit. You're doing, you're not meant to be this sort of perfect robot-like system that cannot deviate from certain movements you're meant to be to bend to to jump to twist to do things so i find it ridiculous that in the context of resistance training and specifically high intensity continuous uh, high volume resistance training people are so surprised that oh i have a slight pain here or oh i sustained some injury like yeah bro okay that comes with the territory you're uh, trying to be a as jacked as humanly possible. And you're in there seven hours a week, pushing yourself to your limit. Like it, it makes sense that at some point something will happen. But as far as like direct literature, looking at exercise technique adjustments and the uh, minimization of uh, injury risk or whatever, there's no direct study where they've taken, you know, a bunch of people and said, okay, we're going to do this this way and this that way and this the other way and seen anything. And like, commonly emphasized technique guidelines that sometimes uh, pertain to the reduction of injury when performing when lifting such as like lumbar spine flexion and lower back back pain if you look behind the curtain sometimes some claims are based on mechanistic evidence um, both in like human and animal cadavers uh, versus like actual longitudinal or cross-sectional evidence in you know humans that are, are alive with even papers like to flex or not to flex? Is there a relationship between lumbar spine flexion during lifting and low back pain? A systematic review with a meta analysis. Like that paper, for example, found that there was no association with uh, lumbar spine flexion and low back pain. I'm not saying throw anything you know about exercise technique or like being following certain sort of uh, guidelines that you see in exercise tutorials and stuff, but the idea that a slight deviation. Assuming that you are being somewhat consistent with your excess technique, but slight deviations from that, or even your usual technique, doing that extra little boop, little bent when you're lifting, if that was so deleterious for for injury as some people make it out to be, the majority of the athletic population would would be in wheelchairs. Strongmen wouldn't strongmen wouldn't exist as a thing. Uh, as a a sport because it's the more extreme where you're like picking up rocks and pressing and bending and you're pressed for time so you're you're rushing through things as well um yeah all that to say that you know if you're hearing this and your mind is going yeah but I'll get injured if I'm slightly sloppier with my uh, bend over rows don't know SIBO yourself it's likely that you're going to be fine and it's likely that you overdoing it with training volume or doing things that you're not used to is going to be worse than that slight involvement of your hips i really like that
0: you brought that down to because what you're talking is sloppy i think most people would look at you training in the gym with like the sloppiest you'd allow and be like that's pristine technique like most average people would look at you and be like that's awesome true or most big huge bodybuilders probably would say the same uh but like in our smaller niche where we have had that kind of very precise definition of technical kind of failure and it's like black or white it's like a it's it's this range and like it's slightly more sloppy and i've been there where and everyone has this like you progressing you're adding load adding reps and maybe you get to a point where you're like "Ah, that's too sloppy like it's now fatiguing me in ways i don't want i'm not generating the stimulus where i want it i'm going to reset and then go again and that's kind of what you're coming to, and I liked that you also mentioned it's kind of consistent technique within a range. You're not talking about one week; you kind of completely like change your technique to look wildly different from the other, because people will say, "Oh, you can't then monitor progress very well," and maybe that's not ideal long term. But uh, it's all within reason in this regard.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like an example would be on a lat pull down. Like you still, I still see people doing these ridiculous lat pull downs where they're like legitimately reaching almost like a 90 90 degree angle with the floor um where even there like if i'm if i'm going to be that guy at the christmas table even there if they've started and taken the set to failure and now they're just unnecessarily fatiguing themselves by just i don't know doing essentially i don't know training their back or training their erectors or whatever uh, i'd still say that they're probably going to get quite a quite a bit of hypertrophy for their their lats and back musculature if the first reps of that set were controlled and they took that like they did five two reps to failure and then you know another five reps of like YOLO although it could be suboptimal because of the extra fatigue blah 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 and why do it you know but like on a lat pull down you going from being like super straight or just slightly leaning back to allowing for a bit more of a lean on those last two reps and maybe, you know, going a bit forward and leaning a bit back to get that extra rep. That sort of deviation, I doubt, makes any meaningful difference. Um, it, it has any meaningful negative uh, effect on injury or hypertrophy or anything.
0: Yeah, I love that. Those are some of the things I was thinking about. It's like maybe your centric is half a second to a second, like, faster than what you had been trying to do for yeah, the exactly. other reps. Yeah, or your knees shift in ever so slightly on like your squat pattern, or like you said, like you get slightly less range on a lat pull down, whatever it might be, or your torso position slightly shifts. Those are the the people where I see them calling sets at that point. I'm like, man, it, it, uh, the, the, now you're really that's where you're struggling to maintain good positioning and keep your muscle to the flame. These are the reps are like that are probably getting closer and closer to true muscular failure for you and gonna count the most, and you've just yeah. stopped just
1: shy of that good stuff (laughs) yeah exactly and yeah just I don't know it's uh it's cool to to geek out over things and that's the whole point of our knees and that's why I'm anti anti anti-optimal like yeah I personally do one triple for my quads per week far from optimal uh, and a couple of like deadlifts and that's all the leg training I'm doing I've I've been blessed with big legs in terms of size and I still squat four plates for reps and deadlift You know near 300 kilos but it's suboptimal and that's fine at the same time if i wanted to grow my legs to the max and geek wanted to geek out over the you know my positioning on the leg extensions and whether sitting slightly more forward will get me a bit more stretch and like playing around with things that we don't really know the same way in other niches like i don't know cars people being petrol heads and modifying their cars I, I'm not sure how much evidence there is for a lot of things they may do in order to get that extra horsepower and whether that makes a difference in this. And like, this is our niche. We're having fun with it. It's totally fine. We all know that just lift consistently with high intensity will get you jacked and strong for general people's standards. But you know, we are dealing with bodybuilders and people who are geeking out for the sake of geeking out.
0: Yeah. I like that. It, it uh, I was just having a conversation with coach, uh, Kasim Hansen, on the show and uh, he was we talked about integrated partials and how he learned that. Uh, I think John Meadows was a proponent of those. And so he'd been using them for a time. It's like, like there was no evidence necessarily to back up their use, but John had found that they were a applicable tool and he was trying to be like on top of kind of doing things as quote unquote optimally as he could. But I think John was a very reasonable guy. You ask him, like, what evidence have you got to support this? Like, I-, I just have a hunch, like, it just feels great, whatever it is. He's not going to say, oh, everyone should do this to optimize growth or whatever. And maybe then science comes in and refines our understanding of these things where maybe exactly. these swinging bent over rows just don't swing and come halfway up. <laughs> like, oh, these swinging lap pull downs, like, just do that first 50 percent of the yeah. range of motion or what have you and we we can get a, a better understanding on the uh, kind of topic of kassam obviously i've actually taken some really cool ideas from Casim in terms of his biomechanics kind of lens that he takes on exercises where uh, for some of the lat movements he's kind of thinking hey the, the lats wrap around the rib cage and so if you move into this position you can get to an even longer muscle length uh, do you think i think you've already kind of covered this what do you think to people going down these routes? And when people are, such as Kasim, is presenting these ideas, uh, how would you feel like people like that should present them given the state of the evidence at the
1: moment? Yeah, so that's that's a, that's a really good question. Um, and a lot of, and I've said it on another podcast, that those things are perfectly fine. Like the the fact that Kasim, Coach Kasim, wants to um, show people how they can potentially, how they can perform exercises to be potentially better again making a relatively educated bet on based on you know biomechanical principles and anatomy on what could be better um and i assume that he also advises people that hey make sure it's feeling good as well if you're feeling pain and a lot of discomfort and it's feeling like absolute dog shit, probably do it the other way I think that's definitely fine uh, from a doing it standpoint, especially if you enjoy it. I'm sure if I went and trained with Kasim and he showed me a few variations of exercise, I'd be like, you know what? Doing it this way, I feel my lat so much more. I don't know if it's making a difference versus a lat pulldown, but I am a lifting geek at the end of the day. I like how this feels. I will do it this way. And if, in ten years, we have a ton of evidence saying it's 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 shit, I will stop doing it. But you know it as long as you're taking certain boxes, it's probably fine. So perfectly fine to consume that sort of content. Uh, however, it's important again to hit that that button in your head when you're viewing that content and being like, okay, this is an educated bet in the context of optimization of muscle growth. We may be talking about that extra one percent here. And not missing the forest for the tree. That's it. Um, as far as like a piece, uh, my opinion on people making that content, and now that's uh, we're moving away from, from Coach Casim because there's plenty of people on TikTok that try to, because like Coach Casim has his whole business and courses and, and stuff like he's established. But there's people out there that are trying to come out with the shock, uh, shock value sort of um, uh, type of content where they will tell you, you're doing this wrong. And then it will give you an explanation and you'll hear a lot of. Biomechanical reasoning and, and muscles and insertions and, and stuff that if my younger self saw, I'd be like, okay, this sounds pretty convincing. Like, ah, fuck, I've been just doing lat pull downs all this time. I'm missing out on so much, so so much progress. Um, and you know, people want to find that one thing that they're doing wrong and they're missing out on progress because standards are through the roof now. Uh, people don't understand that hey, it may take 10 years for you to look jacked for most people, but for some bodybuilders, you'll still look shit. You know, and yeah, so all I, all I want to say is uh, interpret those things with caution. And if you're seeing people making a huge deal out of those adjustments, be, be skeptical
0: and wary. I think that's so well stated. Again, I keep saying that, but it just reminds me of, I think it's died down a little bit. Obviously we've said these sort of exercise demos are fraught over social media, but that kind of um, like X, this is wrong technique. This is tick correct technique. The number exactly. of those videos I saw online and I was just like, to, in my eyes, the, the X was like the good technique and the, the tick was the poor technique or whatever. And then you've got someone who's saying the opposite. It's like neither of us have like actual strong evidence. Like we can lean on things like, ah, oh, this one's taking that muscle to a longer muscle length and whatever, you're more stable in this position. So maybe you can generate more force and tension. But it's like you said, people are putting an X next to momentum and it's like, well, we don't actually have a direct evidence saying momentum is bad and there's theoretical rationale to why in some situations it could be useful Um, and that's why i try to boil down these principles of taking muscles to close to failure or to failure that target musculature and then training a muscle to on a longer muscle length these are like some broad principles i think about when i'm looking at technique and exercise selection that i can do those with those movements and if i can't then it's not great and uh yeah i think this has been a great discussion i think there's probably quite a bit of even within technique i imagine the recommendations will end up being relatively broad kind of similar to volume recommendations because everyone's a little bit different in that regard so it's not like i don't know we're gonna have four second eccentric two second concentric default best for everyone all the time there's probably like gonna be a broad range uh, for for some people and i imagine similar to like working out where you land on the volume and kind of assessing your uh, kind of maybe short-term feedback, longer-term progression, all of those aspects. You could do the same with technique and discover maybe what's feeling right for you within movements, within the broad strokes of the guidelines you've presented
1: for now is pr- probably a reasonable way to go, would you say? Yeah, for sure. Again, it's, it's unlike, like if you're trying to maximize hypertrophy and your reps are two to eight seconds long, the whole duration of your rep with some eccentric control while emphasizing long muscle lengths, and then you're taking all the basics that you just mentioned, I find it very hard that um, your technique is what's holding you back as far as gains go.
0: This is a final anecdotal thing because it's just made me think of it. I changed my technique to try and fit these uh, kind of recommendations that were presented to me as like, this is better technique. It was on my hack squat. And so I'd slowed down my eccentric. And I think I was, I don't know, four, five second eccentric. And man, I did not maintain that for very long because I just found it felt like it took away from the lift. And as I progressed mm. that lift, I ended up falling into like my default tempo that I had for that lift. I don't know if you have this pack where you just find, for sure, you have this sweet spot of a tempo that just feels like, it feels good and you're able to progress things well. And if you try and deviate too far from that, Especially going much slower, you just end up falling back into this tempo.
1: Yeah. And that's, and that's why, like, this, this, this paper, yes, it's not giving you the magic number, but I feel like, like, that range is giving you so much more than just a magic number. I mean, okay, if there was a magic number, that would be, that would be best because that's the magic number. But as you said, there are exercises where going slower on a lat pull down, I sometimes take four to five seconds to really feel that stretch because it just feels good. On other exercises, like, uh, like an overhead press, it will be like a one, to maximum two seconds a century because it's just, I can't breathe and it, it feels uncomfortable. So it's good to know that, oh, we're not leaving gains on the table because we're not doing the hard work of taking it uh, much slower. Uh,
0: final, not final, I keep saying final. Do you have any thoughts on pausing? Because that's been something that's been quite strongly recommended is like taking a pause in that stretched position. Uh, But actually, I don't know if you've seen the video, but Menno Henselmans did a video Mm. on the stretch reflex, getting to that position. He was saying in some situations, you you might not want to pause, or at least you don't want to remove that stretch reflex there. You just want to control and almost use it, and you can generate more force and tension there, which I found interesting and quite compelling in some situations. And it could be situational dependent, but I don't know if you took anything from that discussion there or, or have any thoughts on... It might actually, in the end, I think Menno kind of said this, if if you pause or you slow down that portion, you get more time in a long muscle length, but you might reduce the tension or the less reps or something. But if you use the stretch reflex, you might be able to produce more tension there and get more reps. And they might essentially, like, your exposures at that hypertrophic range of motion might be equate and you
1: kind of get a similar result in the end. Yeah, I think that's where, where I, I'm probably leaning towards. I like to... Um pause on, on some exercise that it feels comfortable. Again, like a lat pull down um, sort of allows me to to reset. And mostly it feels good on my left shoulder because it it's it sometimes, if I do very sudden movements, sometimes it bothers me. But again, I'm not sure. Um, if I, I, I would again urge caution with people that are telling you that unless you're like pausing in that stretch position, you are missing out on gains or that it's the best thing you can potentially do. Uh, at the same time, it's it's likely that if you are working at long muscle lengths and you are getting that stretch, regardless of the pause, you're you're getting most of the benefits. More evidence needed, right? And we shall see. And we're doing the first uh, study on on technique as well soon to to fi- to get a bit more clarity and uh, whether it, all those variables actually make a difference.
0: I love it. Uh, I think it's uh, kind of it was nice last year. It opened up with um, Robinson and colleagues. Their meta regression, meta analyses, looking at proximity to failure and kind of, oh, we do get exponential results as we approach failure, set by set basis. It was like, oh mate, and then the the quote I keep saying, many roads to Rome, uh, many ways to skin a cat, kind of opened up this discussion even here, where it's like, uh, within a kind of range of approaches to hypertrophy, like you, that's why you see some bodybuilders doing quite exactly. different things but getting great results. And maybe it's a bit of a journey of self-discovery within that, which is going to be your quote-unquote optimal, but there's probably many routes that are going to be fruitful for you on average. You probably have these extreme individuals <laughs> where they, they need to do the super slow training to grow the best herb. Maybe not, but we we don't have evidence, I can't say. Uh, absence isn't, uh, isn't required. Uh, the absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. That's what I'm trying to say. Anyway, I'm rambling. So do we need to summarize or do you think we've... Uh, to summarize, tempo, two to eight seconds for a repetition in terms of duration moderate evidence for that range of motion, get muscles fully stretched, get into those long muscle lengths again, moderate evidence for that. And that's growing. And then like basically the last one I had to like lift in a way that allows you to take the target muscle close or to failure. Um, don't need to obsess about these tiny deviations in technique and that might be holding you back.
1: Yeah. As far as, as far as the current evidence goes, that's, that's perfect. And we're doing, the study that we're going to be doing, we're going to be looking at taking those variables. Um, I I don't want to say much about the methods because I want to, there's going to be some blinding involved, but we essentially want to see whether optimizing training technique actually makes a meaningful difference versus other sort of conditions uh, that are ecologically valid as well. So we're, we're going to try to, to have a study that sort of recreates what happens in the in real world scenarios but more on that in the coming seven to eight months because we, we have to run the study and so on and so forth
0: awesome i'm excited for it we have to get you back on to discuss that and pack as always it's a pleasure to speak to you and i appreciate you coming on and actually doing the like looking into these areas because it's kind of those, again, I think people take it for granted that there's a, a certain way to do things. It's like actually when you dig a bit deeper, as you did, uh, you discover something. And uh, it, I think that's been useful for people. Uh, if people want to learn more about yourself
1: or keep up to date with what you're doing, where should they head? I am on Instagram at dr. Dr. double underscore P A K on my YouTube channel, uh, if they're right, dr dot pak dr pack they'll find me and all my links are there the the but revive stronger is my new home so you can find me on revive stronger exclusively
0: <laughs> amazing i'll make sure they're all linked uh in the area where they can be linked <laughs> so you can discover pack and uh keep following him and, and what he's up to guys thank you so much for listening we'll talk to you soon
2: Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't, though. It's reality, and we know how to do it, and we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight-week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You'll receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the mini-cut so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The mini-cut movement is open 24-7. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together.